the title of this message is A Final Comparison. And so as we start this morning, let's, let's compare some things. Let's compare, for instance, two things that bring light, two things that brighten up their area. So there's one, and there's another one. How about football players? Let's compare football players. That guy can run the ball right there. How about this one? Maybe we should compare people that play the piano. So there, there's one. That guy's playing away, right? And there is another one. One last comparison, uh, how about helicopters? That one will fly, and so will that one. Do you see any pattern so far? You know, sometimes when we compare things, they're very much alike. But then sometimes when we compare them, they may have some similarity, but they are very different from each other in terms of their power and their ability. And that is what is true in our passage for today, Hebrews chapter 10. So I invite you, uh, if you have a Bible or a uh, phone or something that you can get to a Bible, to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. We're going to compare two things that have some similarities, but ultimately... uh, they are not alike. We're going to read the entire passage of Hebrews 10, 1 through 18 through the course of the message. But for now, I just want to hone in on verses 11 to 14. And this kind of summarizes the difference in this comparison. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And that's, of course, talking about the Old Testament priest under the law. Notice it's on that side of the screen. On the other side, there's another high priest that this writer has been talking about whose name is Jesus. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins... He sat down on the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, the epistle of Hebrews that we're looking into this morning was written in the first century to a group of Jewish believers. They had been raised in Judaism, and they had professed their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And because of persecution and various other reasons, they were being tempted to turn away from their faith in Christ, to totally turn away and go back into Judaism. And to convince these readers that was an unwise move to make, the writer tells us 
over and over and over again that Jesus is greater. And that is this series that we've been in since the spring, and we're moving along now as we start uh, uh, about two-thirds of the way now into the book of Hebrews. Jesus is greater, and the writer has showed us that Jesus is greater than the prophets, chapter 1, greater than angels, chapters 1 and 2, greater than Moses, greater than Aaron, greater than Melchizedek. And then in chapter 8, Jesus has a better covenant. Chapter 9, he has a better sanctuary. And now, as we come to the climax of this section, Jesus has a better sacrifice. Chapter 10. And that sets the stage for this message. The context of Hebrews 10, 1 to 18 is that this is the climax of this long doctrinal section in Hebrews. And it really continues for us the description that the writer started in chapter 9. We started looking at that last week here at Harvest about the greater amazing sacrifice that Christ has. In our passage today, there are two comparisons of Jesus' sacrifice. There are two reasons why the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, and his sacrifice, of course, was himself. He lived, he died, he sacrificed himself on the cross to pay for the sins of humanity. He paid for our sins. That was his sacrifice. In contrast to that, there had been endless numbers of sacrifice in the Old Testament. And the writer is comparing and giving us two reasons why Christ's sacrifice is better. Let's look at those. The first one is that the Old Covenant animal sacrifices only reminded people of their sins and had to be repeated. They only reminded people of their sins, and they had to be repeated over and over again. Let's look at verse 1. The law is a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those that draw near to worship. So, of course, the Old Testament law, that was the Old Testament covenant. That's where the directions for all of these sacrifices, these animal sacrifices, there were regular sacrifices, and then once a year on the Day of Atonement, there was a special sacrifice. That came from the law, and the law was from God, but now the writer of Hebrews, now that we've come past the time of the Old Testament and we've come to the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, he gives us a, an analogy of what the law is. The law is only a shadow. The law is only a shadow of the good things. Now, the chapter that leads into the one we're looking at this morning, chapter 10, mentioned three times that Jesus' sacrifice only occurred once. So this chapter is elaborating on that. It was, it was because the Mosaic law that demanded these animal sacrifices was not the final reality. 
Jesus Christ is the final reality, and the law is just the shadow. It's interesting, in the Greek language, the New Testament is written in Greek, the very first word in the sentence put there for emphasis is the word shadow. The law is just a shadow. And the shadow predicted by the way of type, the kind of blessings that were going to come. So you see the difference between the kids and their shadow? And then maybe there's a badminton birdie. There's the reality and there is the shadow. I, I think we probably need to illustrate it here in person. It might help. Can I have a, a couple, a energetic young couple? How about Nathan and Becky? Would you guys come up here? Thank you for volunteering. That is great. Yeah. Uh, if you guys would just step up here for a minute. And Becky, would you just kind of come stand like right here, maybe a little closer there, a little closer there. Okay. Come towards me just a little bit there. Okay. Now, um, do you like her? It's the first time they've met, by the way. If you're a guest, now they've been married for 18 years. So I see Becky and I see a shadow. So do, do you like the shadow? Well, do you, do you like the shadow more or the reality more? Yeah. All right, why don't you come over here and give that shadow a, a hug, just a little. <laughs> now, is that special? Kind of awkward. Kind of awkward. How about a little peck on the cheek of that shadow? Would that, would that be good? Would you? And that's your only kiss for today. Or had you, had you rather give a little peck on the cheek to the reality? Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay. All right. I mean, the shadow is a reflection of the reality, right? I mean, we, if you knew probably if Nathan had Becky and all of his children and, and he couldn't see who it was that was standing here and he was only looking at the shadow, he could probably point out, oh, that's Becky, that's Sam, that's Luke, that's Ezra, whatever. But the shadow itself is not the reality. And these Old Testament sacrifices, though God ordained them, God set them up, God put them in place for the people, they were never designed to be the final thing. They were always just a shadow that was pointing to a greater reality. Does that make sense? That's why the scripture continues and says, for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. We need to be made perfect because we're imperfect. We, and that, I'll explain a little bit more about that later, but it basically means to be in a right relationship with God. We need to be placed in a right relationship with God. And, and the law could not do that. These animal sacrifices could not do it. They were endless. They were repeated over and over and over again. In fact, if you just took one year, one year of sacrifices in the tabernacle based on what we know, it would have included at least this many items. It would have been at least 113 bulls, 32 rams, 
1,086 lambs, over 2,000 pounds of flour. They may not have been packaged in bags quite like that. And hundreds of gallons of wine. That was a lot of stuff over and over and over again. Otherwise, verse 2 says, would they have not stopped being offered for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. In other words, if these sacrifices would have been effective, you would have gone to one and then you would have been good. But they weren't. They weren't ultimately and finally effective. What were they? Verse 3 answers that question for us. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Every time a bull had to be offered, every time an animal was offered, it just reminded the worshiper, man, I'm, I'm sinful and I need, to, I need to be covered. It's an annual reminder of sins. It didn't take away their sins. It was an annual reminder of sins. You know there are good reminders and bad reminders in life. Um, I like it when I might, you know, put a reminder on my clock. I might say, hey, Siri, remind me to call, you know, the insurance agent Thursday afternoon or something like that. I have an awesome assistant here, Nikki, and I, sometimes when I'm not in front of my computer or phone or whatever and we're in a meeting or something, I say, hey, Nikki, will you remind me to do such and such? And man, she's always there and she reminds me and that's a, that's a good reminder, right? Can you think of any bad reminders that you get? <laughs> Maybe you tweak your back, you hurt your back and you kind of forget about it and then you're like oh there's something on the floor and you reach down and you get that reminder well the law was an annual reminder hey you're sinful <laughs> that's what it that's what it did these sacrifices were commanded by God but every year on the day of atonement it reminded them that Something else needed to ha be, happen. Why? Verse 4 tells us why. And that is, it is impossible. For is not translated here, but we would say, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, these sacrifices possibly checked sin. They temporarily covered sin. They constituted um, faith or, or uh, obedience to God, and they showed that the, the one who was, uh, the offering was for was, was demonstrating faith that God would bring the ultimate sacrifice that would, would bring salvation. But they never blotted out sins. They never covered them completely or, or forgave them completely. And that's the first reason why Christ's sacrifice is better. The Old Testament animal sacrifices only reminded people of their sins, and they had to be repeated over and over. Secondly, Christ's sacrifice removes sins, and it was permanent. I mean, it was permanent. Verse 5, therefore, in light of the fact that all of these animal sacrifices could not cleanse sin completely, 
When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And the writer here is quoting from Psalm 40. This, this is a quotation from Psalm 40. Uh, these words originally about King David are attributed, they are put prophetically into Jesus' mouth, into the mouth of Christ. And it's stressing that Jesus was willing to come sacrifice for our sins. You didn't ultimately find pleasure in the sacrifices and the offerings, but you did prepare a body for me, and I'm, I've, we'll see in a minute. He says, I've come to do your will. Now, why would the Scripture say God was not pleased with the sacrifices when he himself is the one who put them in place? Of course, God did authorize those sacrifices, but God was always looking for more than sacrifice. He was always looking more, for more than just an external ritual, right? It's the actual offering of the sacrifice had to be accompanied by a life of obedience, by a heart of worship. That's what the idea was. And many times in the Old Testament, you read the prophets over and over again, the people were engaged in their sinful lives, and yet they would still come and make those ritual offerings and think, okay, we're okay, we're being covered by this. But there are many passages. I think, for instance, when Samuel, what he said to King Saul, when King Saul disobeyed God, God had commanded him to do a certain thing, and he didn't do it, and yet he he kept these animals that he wasn't supposed to keep, and Saul was going to make a sacrifice for the animals. He said to Samuel, that's why I kept them, so we can sacrifice them to God. And Samuel asked, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and in sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than to sacrifice. This is Old Testament. Also in the Old Testament, the prophets Hosea, for Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So then as now, the essential component of true worship is a heartfelt devotion to God, not just an external act. I'm glad you're here on a Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here in a worship service. I'm glad you're going through that external act. But you know what God's looking for? Not just the external act. He's looking for the heart. He's looking for a heart of devotion. Continuing in the passage, verse 7, this quote from Psalm 40. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. So again, in Psalm 40, prophetically or historically, this is David's obedience. But prophetically, it's referring to Jesus' obedience. Now, there's a slight, I just want to comment, there's a slight, uh, it's a tiny bit technical, but I think it's an important point because some of you might read, you might go back sometime and read Psalm 40 and see the way it's translated, and then you might see the way it's translated in Hebrews, and you go, it doesn't match exactly. Because, let me put it on the screen, in Psalm 40, the way many English translations will render this, it, it, 
a sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened or my ears you have pierced, something like that. And then you come to Hebrews 10, 5 that we're looking at, and it says, but a body you prepared for me. So earlier in this sermon series, I mentioned that the writer of Hebrews, when he quotes the Old Testament, is given to quote from what is known as the Septuagint. So the Old Testament, the original Old Testament was written in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language. And later it was translated into Greek. And that Greek translation is called the Septuagint. So the New Testament writers, different New Testament writers, sometimes they'll quote from the original Hebrew. Sometimes they'll quote from the Greek translation of the Hebrew. And the, and in, and the writer of Hebrews, we got Hebrew and Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews will usually quote from the Septuagint. And I think that's what's happening here. You could read the Hebrew, the original language of Psalm 40 as, my ears you have digged or hollowed out. Ladies, that's what happens when you get your ears pierced, right? They're, well, not 100%. It describes the creation of the ears part of the body. I agree with F.F. Bruce that the body that God prepared is symbolized by this creation of the ears. And then that is body is surrendered back to God in obedience. So that's why there's a minor difference in translation in some, some English translations, but it's referring to the same thing. And this minor difference shouldn't concern us, but it should point us to the main point that's being made here, the larger point. These words written long before Jesus Christ ever lived are put into his mouth as if he were saying them, I have come to do the Father's will. I have come to do your will. I have come to die on the cross. Verse 8, first he said sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, And sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. The writer is continuing to quote Psalm 40. It's commenting or he's commenting and explaining on the significance of that psalm god abolishes the first will that covenant that old testament sacrificial system in order to establish the second one which is the sacrifice of christ in verse 10 and by that will we have all been made holy or we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of jesus christ once for all. It is the second will, namely Christ's death, that makes people holy. That's what makes us holy. The tense that's used here is past action with continuing results. What Christ did made us holy, and it is still making us holy. Ray Steadman says it properly we've been made holy by the death of Jesus. And we remain holy, even though we struggle with daily sin 
and weakness. Now, of course, this is not an invitation to cease working at spiritual disciplines, but it's a reassurance that the ultimate work of Christ has been done for the believer, and we are made holy. It's awesome how the writer of Hebrews finds in Psalm 40 the contrast that he's been making, the final sufficient sacrifice of Christ. And so the passage keeps hammering that home. Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, this priest Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. You know, if you were to go back into that tabernacle, that Old Testament tabernacle, and look at the various pieces of furniture, and you would go, one thing you would not find is any chairs. The priest could never sit down. The priest, it symbolized that their work was constant. It was ongoing. They kept walking. They kept serving. They kept offering the sacrifices. But the great high priest, Jesus, when he offered his sacrifice on the cross, when he died, when he was buried, when he rose again, he went back to heaven and he sat down. You know what that means? That means his work is done. He has done everything necessary for our forgiveness. In fact, that's why he cried from the cross those three great words. It is finished. His work was done. Verse 14. Oh, in fact, one more comment there. Verse 13. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. You know, the next time he stands up, so to speak, is going to, this is a, a figurative image. The footstool is when the enemies are just totally defeated. It's when he's going to completely and effectively rule over the nations. That's when he will stand again. Verse 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, to be made perfect is to be brought into a pop, proper relationship with God by cleansing the conscience from the guilt of sin. And the text says, made perfect forever. The Bible teaches that people who are truly saved are saved forever. He made us perfect forever. Believers in Christ are described as those who are being made holy or being sanctified. And it's interesting. Verse 10 showed us that our sanctification, our being made holy was an accomplished fact, right? You're made holy. And this verse shows us that our sanctification is an ongoing process. So sanctification for the Christian is the process of daily and regularly becoming more of who you really are, of whom God has made you to be. It's progressive. It's perfect. It's final. It's complete. And yet the, uh, the, the carrying out of it 
is it happens progressively. Think about chapter 9 and chapter 10, all of the times that the verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, now he's, he's looking back to Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. In the original language, there are different ways you can say no. There are different emphasis. And in English, when you put a double negative, that's incorrect. But in Greek, a double negative is emphatic. It's the strongest way that you can say no. And that's what verse 17 is. This is the strongest possible no. I will never remember them. And because of that, verse 18 concludes, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Aren't you glad for that today? So here's God's word for us today. The Old Testament sacrifices were annual reminders of sin. But Jesus' sacrifice is a permanent solution to sin. You see that in the Old Testament, they were annual. His is permanent. Theirs was a reminder. His is a solution. So, as we look at this chart again, Jesus greater than all of these beings, this fundamentally, if you wanted to, in some ways, summarize the whole teaching of the epistle of Hebrews, you could do it in that slide and say, Jesus is greater, 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 greater. So, don't turn away from him. So, don't turn away from him. You might want to write that down at the top of your outline. There's, there's not a blank, but there's room for it. Don't turn away from him. Christ has done it for you and me. He died on the cross. He paid for our sin that had separated us from God, and it's permanent, and it's a solution for our sin. So, so if you haven't received him today, if you've never acknowledged him today, if you've never admitted that you are still separated from him and you need him, and you want him, and you want forgiveness, and you believe in him. You believe he died. You believe he rose again. And you're willing to put your faith in him, your trust in him, and your commitment of your life to him. This is a great day to do that, to open your heart to him. And maybe you have opened your heart to him in the past, and maybe you're like these readers, tempted to turn back for some reason to something else. Don't turn back. Don't turn away. I love the argument here. It's like, why would you turn away from the only hope that you have? Why would you turn away from the very thing that brings you everything you really want and need? That's forgiveness of sin. Worship him and tell others about this great sacrifice. Think about your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, who aren't in a personal relationship with Jesus, who aren't believing this, who aren't depending on him. Oh, maybe, maybe their issue is that maybe they're not concerned about whether 
Jesus is greater than Moses or greater than the angels uh, or that sort of thing. But maybe they, they believe the lie that all roads lead to God equally. And so maybe, they've, maybe they, that's what they need to learn the superiority of Christ over some humanly concocted system. Maybe they're, they've been blinded by this philosophy that's so popular in our culture that life is all about you becoming the best you you can be. <laughs> that it's finding yourself and being true to you. And that, that's, that's a philosophy that it is totally opposed to the philosophy of the gospel. When we see what an amazing, permanent sacrifice that Jesus made, it thrust us out to our friends and our relatives and our neighbors to tell them because they need that sacrifice. And we're the ones that God has given the opportunity and the call and the challenge and the command to go tell. And again, it happens here and it happens all over the world. It's so great to have our missionary partners from Serbia That's why we do missions in Serbia. That's why these guys are trying to reach the southern part of Serbia where there aren't churches and there aren't believers because there's one great sacrifice of Christ and people need to know about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul was talking about being Christ's ambassador and he said, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. The title of this sermon is A Final Comparison. You notice final is capitalized if you're looking at your outline sheet. And yes, there is a play on words there. <laughs> It's the, in these series of comparisons, Moses, prophets, so forth, it's the final one. But it's also final because this is it. (laughs) He made that sacrifice. All other sacrifices were repeated over and over. And they only covered sin, but his is what? A permanent solution to sin. Read this out loud with me. Let's read this together. This, This one sentence. Here, the Old Testament sacrifices were annual reminders of sin. But Jesus' sacrifice is a permanent solution to sin. Anybody want to say amen right there? (laughs) Now, as we close, let's think about some things that are temporary. Okay? Infatuation is temporary. You know that warm, fuzzy feeling when you meet that person that you think that that's, this is the person that I'm going to spend my life with maybe? That's a temporary feeling. Counselors say it generally lasts 12 to 18 months. And then if you're going to have a lifetime of love and commitment to each other, you have to build that on other things, real love and commitment, not just that warm feeling. Uh, scaffolding. Is temporary. Have you ever seen the big, put the scaffolding up and they're painting the big tall walls? And, you know, you just put the scaffolding up there for a short time so you can paint the walls. And, and the temporary staff, scaffolding goes away and then the wall stays, right? 
Uh, Fortune 500 companies are temporary. Really? Well, of the 500 largest companies in 1955, only 60 of them remained on the list in 2017. Only 60 of 500. In fact, there were some companies in 1955 that were on that list. And some of you, you I'm saying, not me, some of you are old enough to remember them. Some of us young people will not remember American Motors. Yeah, some of you shaking your head. Brown Shoe, Studebaker, Collins Radio, Zenith Electronics. All, all of them were on the Fortune 500 list, and none of them even exist now. So Fortune 500 companies can be temporary. Uh, large lottery winnings are temporary. I, I read a study this week that said uh, after three years, large people who won large amounts in the lottery were more likely to go bankrupt and declare bankruptcy than people who won small amounts in the lottery. Now, of course, the moral of the story is not go out and play the lottery and win a small amount. That's not what I'm saying. Fashion in clothes is temporary. Color schemes in home decor are temporary, right? You know what else? Monopoly game pieces are temporary. I grew up playing Monopoly, and there were pieces. Remember a few years ago, they took the top hat, the boot, the iron, the race car, and the dog out and replaced them with other pieces. And that really hurt me because I was always the iron when I played Monopoly. That was my piece. You know, there are a lot of temporary things in life. In fact, much, maybe most of the things we see in life are temporary. And we would add to that list the Old Testament sacrifices were temporary. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus' sacrifice permanent. It's not just a reminder of sin. It is a permanent solution to sin. Amen. Let's bow our heads, please. If you are an elder staff member or community group leader, I want you to stand where you are. Elder, staff member, community group leader. I'd like you guys to spread out a little bit. Um, maybe uh, Stan and Heidi, if you guys could come to this side. Amy, if you could kind of go towards the back and Corey towards the back there. And here's how we're going to wrap up our service. I, in a minute, I want you just to go gather around one of these leaders. And the leaders are going to pray. They're going to pray for you. They're going to pray for the body they're going to pray for us as we respond to God's Word. And others of you, if you would like to pray out loud, you're welcome to join in prayer. We're going to take like five minutes to have this prayer time that wraps up our service. But let's, 
let's respond to Christ's sacrifice and what he wants us to do and be in light of it. So uh, those of you who are standing, raise your hand because as people move, they may not be able to see. So go ahead and just gather around. Uh, let's form some circles around uh, this team of people, and I'll just invite you to start praying as soon as uh, a circle is formed around you, okay? Keep your hands held up just for a minute so they can find you. So leaders, you go ahead and start those prayers, and then others can join in as, as, as God, God leads you for that. I'll pray with you guys. Yeah, if you guys want to. Stay. these prayer circles up in the next minute or so, please.
Let's all stand together uh, for the benediction. You can receive it from from where you are. Um, Lord, we praise you today for who you are. We praise you for this amazing, amazing sacrifice. And now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.